It's time for Tycoons of Small Biz, spotlighting the true backbone of the American economy, the true tycoons of business in America, the owners, founders, and CEOs of small businesses. The show's hosts, Austin Peterson and Landon Mance, are registered representatives of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker-dealer, member SIPC, and registered investment advisor. The views expressed by your hosts, Austin and Landon, are not necessarily the views of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Let's lean in as Austin and Landon connect with this week's Tycoons. Good afternoon, Tycoons, and welcome to today's episode of Tycoons of Small Biz. I'm your host, Austin Peterson, here as always from lovely and very hot this time of year, uh, Gilbert, Arizona. And I'm joined by my co-host, the best co-host in the business, Landon Mance from Las Vegas, Nevada. And uh, today we are excited actually to have in or on the show with us Darlene Zebel. She's a business strategy with, uh, or excuse me, business strategist with DarleneZebel.com. Darlene, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm looking forward to this, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm honored. Yeah, we're excited to have you on. So before we jump into the show, just uh, real quick for those who are listening to our show for the first time, Tycoons of Small Biz is a small business program. So it's by small business for small business. And the whole intent of this show is to give small business owners throughout the country an opportunity to tell their story. So tell us, you know, where they came from, what what they've been able to build, but really to potentially share some great advice to the other tycoons of small biz who are listening to this radio program. So we're excited today to have Darlene on the show. And uh, Darlene, before we jump into the business side of things, we always kind of have our guests tell us a little bit about themselves personally. So, you know, tell us where you came from, how you grew up, where you live now, whatever you'd like (laughs) us to know about how you got to where you are today. Uh, that is always, uh, actually, I think it's by accident. I grew up in Chicago uh, to a middle-class family. And uh, my parents were not entrepreneurs, but all of my grandparents were. So I think it kind of skipped a couple of generations. And by the time I was a young adult, I knew I couldn't stand working for anybody else. I had to work for myself. So I think in my entire life, I had maybe two jobs, three with the mergers that I completed with my business, but I started, I started really young. I bought my first business at the age of, I think, 25. So I learned the hard way. It was all the school hard knocks. Yeah. You, you and me both. I was, I was 23 when I started my first business and, and it was the same business that I'm in today. I've owned some other businesses along the way, you know, kind of as side hustles, so to speak, uh, you know, alongside what, what I do here, but Boy, I tell you, as a 23-year-old, it's tough to start a business, period, let alone when you're trying to manage people's money and their businesses, right? And, and have them trust that you have any clue what you're doing. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, uh, I was fortunate that some people took me seriously. You know, others, I had to remind that I, I wasn't born the day before, so I wouldn't be taken advantage of, which happened quite often. People tried to do that. So it was it was really difficult. I mean, I couldn't get any bank loans. I couldn't get any funding. Um, I just learned how to bootstrap myself. And I was fortunate that every time I had an opportunity to exit a business and make a profit on it, I did. So of the four companies that I've launched that throughout my career, three of them had really good as exits. So, and I just kept adding the knowledge base over and over and over and went and got my MBA and pretty much told the professors what would work and what wouldn't work for small business <laughs> and combined all that knowledge with my Fortune 1000 consulting experience. And I came up with my own methodologies to help others. Yeah, that's great. It actually reminds me a bit of a of a situation that I had when I got ready to go to business school. And, and I'm guessing it's the same based on where you went to business school. But um, there's an interview process, right? You take the GMAT and then you go through kind of this interview process to see if they want you in the program. The last interview that I had, or second, ended up being second to last, but the last interview that I had, the professor honed in on a couple of grades that I had in some classes in my undergrad and said, I'm just not sure you're the right fit. And I explained that that happened to be some grades. I think I had, you know, like a B minus and a C plus or something. And it happened to be when my wife was going through a very high risk pregnancy and there was just a lot of stuff going on in my life and school took a a back seat. Right. And I explained that to him, but he just kind of acted like, yeah, I don't know. I think you're, I think you're making excuses. 
And uh, the director of the program called me a day later and I explained to him, I said, you know, this, this is what he told me. I just, you know, apparently I'm not the right fit. I'm not what you're looking for, even though I currently own and operate two different businesses that are successful. And he backpedaled real quick and said, I got to talk to him. That is not the message that he should have conveyed. We understand that life happens. You know, your, your score was, was decent, right? My GMAT score was decent, but I also let him know, look, I decided to go to business school last minute. I didn't study. I just took the GMAT. So you got what you got 24 hours later. And then, you know, here's my background. And he just apologized up and down and said, we want you in our program. Please come be a part of our program. So similar to your situation. Yeah, it's very interesting. I, but, but, you know, I kept putting off the MBA because I was so busy running businesses. So by the time I went, I was in the executive program. They told me not to bother with the GMAT and they invited me on the very first interview. So I was, you know, already experienced and making probably more money than most of the fellow students in my class. So they wanted me to share real life experiences. So that's, that's how I got in. But it was, you know, later in life. So, you know, when I say I have to go to business school, I'm only going if Darlene is going to be one of the instructors. Otherwise, count <laughs> count me out. <laughs> I can't tell you how many professors today call me and ask me for help in launching their own businesses. It's, yeah, yeah, I know. In, interesting, I know. very interesting. Yeah. Well, um, speaking of launching businesses. So you were 25 when you launched your first business. Tell us about tell us about that. What kind of business was it? What were you doing? And well, I, I it was after my first job, and I um, was laid off because the business I worked for closed, and they gave me a huge severance package to stay until the end. And one, I always wanted a business, so I took that money and I bought a, a retail business, and I was fortunate. A friend of a friend was one of the founders of one of the major drug chains in this country that's still in business today. And I asked him for help. I got to meet him and I said, you know, what do I do? And he taught me how to do some market research and how to analyze whether or not this location would be good, profitable, so forth. Bottom line, it was a disaster. The owner was ill, couldn't manage it, but it was in a great location. So he taught me just to buy the inventory, which I was glad I did because the owner had a lot of debt. I didn't buy the corporation. I bought the inventory and I renegotiated a new lease on the space and I grew it over a thousand percent in sales the first year. So it was just, you know, one person helping me and, but I made, I made some mistakes along the way. I was listening to vendors telling me what to do and that was a mistake. The vend- I was following vendor's advice that only helped him and not me. So I learned early on to always ask the question, who benefits from this decision? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, that's the main one that I advise other people. I always ask, every decision you make in business, who benefits from this? Is it someone else or will it be you? And I had an opportunity to sell it about two, three years into it. And at the same time, I always wanted to go, I always want, I'm always learning. So I went back to school to learn uh, information technology. And I left there and a consulting firm offered me a job on the spot because of my business experience and now IT training. I worked for them for about three years and then I I left and launched my own IT uh, technology firm and kept that going for about seven or eight years. It's always a, a chance to learn something new and grow and keep moving on. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think this question is important because I think it'll help kind of lay lay the foundation for our conversation because you do a lot of consulting around around scaling and growing companies. So you bought this company. Um, you said you grew it significantly the first year. And then ultimately ended up turning around a couple of years later and sold it. So how did you, how did you do that? You know, how did you grow it so rapidly over the course of just a couple of years? Well, I had the mentor who taught me what to do. The owner of the business really didn't, you know, wasn't physically well. And, but the customer base was there. It was in a train station outside of Chicago. It was in the Metro train station. 
So my mentor taught me how to do research. I went to the, the train depot and I asked him how many people get on the train every day, how many park in the parking lot. I sat in my car with a paper and pencil and started writing down the number of people who went through there. Um, and when I saw the numbers and that they weren't going into this little store, I thought, you know, there's a missed opportunity here. So after I bought it, I only kept it closed for three days. I cleaned it up, put in all new stuff and stood outside and asked everybody, what would you buy on your way into the train? And they gave me a list of things they wanted. They wanted Coca-Cola. There's, there's a huge market for, for Coca-Cola over coffee in the morning. So I bring in, bring in the Coke coolers. You know, I need newspapers. I need cigarettes. I need... And the list just kept going and going and going. And I just kept adding those products. That's how I did it. It was just, I don't want to say sheer luck, but smart on my part to my research. I couldn't afford to hire a marketing research firm. I didn't have the money to do that. But I could stand outside the door and ask people, you know, and I was very polite about it. Would, would you tell me, what do you think I should carry in my little shop? Yeah. And and that's how I did it. And I added the products and my mentor got me some of the biggest distributors, even though I was very, very tiny. He got me some of the biggest distributors that they used in this massive drug chain to help me. Um, and I, that's how I learned. Really, it really was. And then the customers started helping me. The customers worked for one man worked for a uniform company and he came in with this beautiful smock with my name embroidered on it. And he said, congratulations, you're an entrepreneur. You know, never, no one ever said that to me. And uh, so they would step in every day to see how I was doing and make recommendations. They were all business people working for big, you know, large corporations in the city of Chicago. So they came in to help me too. Yeah. And I just listened. I just asked questions and listen. And, and that's what I advise people to do. Ask, ask, ask. Just don't trust everything you read, especially now online. Don't trust everything you read. And just go right to the horse's mouth and ask them what they want. If, you got it, if you're launching a new product or service today, go to a bunch of strangers and ask them, what do you think of this? If you're creating a new ballpoint pen, whatever it is, don't ask your friends. Don't ask your family. They're all going to tell you it's great. But go to a group of strangers. Yeah, no, I think you, yeah, I think you hit it on the head there. I mean, there's two really important things that I pulled out of, you know, the story you just told us. And that is one, mentors are important and it should be somebody who doesn't necessarily benefit from your success, right? Um, or benefit, you know, benefit on their own, whether you're successful or not would be even worse, right? Right. right. And then the other thing that I pulled out, I mean, you asked all these questions of people as they walked in, you got to be willing to hustle, right? And so that's, that's a part of it. But the other thing is entrepreneurs and salespeople a lot tend to forget that we have one mouth and two, year, two ears and we should use them accordingly. You got to listen. Absolutely. And you really, you, you brought up a good point about the mentoring you know, I, I was fortunate that this man was one of the founders of a major retail chain in the country. And, and, I, and he's a, he was very busy. And I went to him and said, I'm a friend of your son. And, you know, can you help me? And he saw that I had this drive. So he did. But people today try and get a mentor. They don't want to pay for him. They, you know, they want free advice. So they go to organizations that offer free advice. Many of those organizations, their mentors call me to help them. So I'm mentoring the mentors now. And you have to, you really, as I said, you have to ask what's in it for them. You are so correct. They cannot have a fiduciary opportunity to gain from your success. If you're, if you're asking those people, then they're the wrong people. Because when I launched my management consulting firm, after I sold my IT business, I merged it with another IT company and then went off and launched an, uh, a management consulting firm. I almost brought in the wrong mentor. I brought in a man who was going to advise me how to do an IPO and I'm following him. And I went to my attorneys. By now, I'm selling millions of dollars a year in uh, consulting fees and Fortune 1000 were my clients, and I was growing to almost 150 other consultants, five offices across the country. It was getting big. 
And my lawyer said to me, we're going to hire a private investigator. And I said, what are you talking about? He goes, we're not just going to trust your mentor who's looking to get part ownership in this IPO. It was the best advice I ever got. It was the best money I ever spent. Because the information that came back from the PIs showed he had been lying a little bit about what he had accomplished in his life. Not that he did anything illegal or that he was hiding anything. He was embellishing a lot. So he didn't have the skill or the experience to do this for me. He was just hanging on to me, hoping to get part of this huge pie that we were going to have. So I fired him. I just said, you're done being my mentor. Here's the door. That was the smartest move I ever made. Yeah, I mean, Lynn and I've had this conversation multiple times, and I've had it with a bunch of people. I just, I'm, I'm blown away at how many people work so hard to basically con people rather than just putting that effort into doing things the right way because they're clearly skilled individuals. Just focus in the right areas and you can find success without having to con people. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it wasn't like a con. It was, like I said, it was just embellishment and I think hope on his part that, oh, I'm, I'm going to get a third of this organization and it's, it's going to be massive because of the hard work I was doing. Yeah. You know, and leading me believe that the introductions he was making, you know, was going to lead to this big IPO. And I just, you know, my gut kept telling me, I, this isn't going anywhere. Yeah. This isn't, you know, this isn't working. And after you start investing in the mentor and, and I actually went out and hired a mentor, paid a lot of money per month, who was one of the um, senior leaders of one of the big five management consulting firms in the United States. He was retired. He had no vested interest in my firm. And we met twice a month. He came in the office, went through the entire list of employees. He went through every every client. He went through everything we did. And he said, get rid of this one, offer this client this, do this, do this. And we just, I just did what he said. And it was the best money I ever spent. Because then it really grew into the eight figure level in sales. But it was a big investment. I think I was paying him about sixty thousand a year then. So it was it was not it was not cheap. So I know starting out, nobody's going to have money to hire these kind of people. But you really have to sometimes trust your gut. Like I said, ask the right questions. Where have they done it before? What's in it for them? And are they one hit wonders? There's a lot of mentors out there that are one hit wonders. They had one company and now they're experts. And yeah. you'll find that. Their methodology is not a one size fits all. So I, you know, I I really get a lot of um, people asking me, you know, they want to take my online workshop or they, you know, they want to buy my book, but, and then they, and then they look at it and go, well, how does this apply to me? Every situation is different. And I tell people as a strategist, I'm their consultant. I'm not their coach. I'm not standing on the sidelines saying, rah, rah, you can do it. I'm out there in the game going, if you don't do this, if you don't make this move, you're going to lose, you're going to fail. And I try and warn people what these, what I call avalanches are going to happen before they happen and be prepared for them because every business on the hockey stick growth path, it will happen. There's 12 of them and everyone will, will suffer from those 12 at some point in their career. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's, there's no doubt about that. So let me close the loop on, on the mentor thing real quick. And then since you already mentioned the the dozen avalanches that threaten small business, your, your book, you know, we'll, we'll have you talk about a couple of, of ones that are, you know, maybe the most prevalent or that you think are the most important for the audience to hear. And then obviously they can, they can read the book after that. But the last thing I'll say about mentors is early on when you don't have the money to pay a mentor, there are other ways to engage a mentor, right? There are still things that you can do to warrant their time. You shouldn't be asking for it for free, but there may be something that you can do as an in-kind service to them that benefits them in some way to, to compensate them for their time. There, there are other ways to get there if you don't have the the money to actually pay for it. Absolutely. You know, which is why I offer so much free material online. 
so that people can start to do a little self-study. And from that information, I even offer free assessments. From that information, they can kind of determine whether or not the direction they're taking or the even if the business idea that they have will work. Before the pandemic, I was doing a lot of workshops, two-day workshops, where I would bring in groups of people with their business plan. The first day I go over my entire methodology, they take home, they do homework that night, take my methodology, work their plan on it, and then the next day we go through each one. And inevitably, I talk 20% of them out of launching their business because they're either doing it for the wrong reasons, they don't have enough money, there's no market, they have the wrong partnership and relationships. And most of the time, those 20% will regroup and figure out something else and then come back to me and then they're successful. But I save them a tremendous amount of pain, not only money, pain from trying to launch something that I I knew wasn't going to work. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I just wanted to I just wanted to mention something about that. You know, I I, I think that, that providing that service to people, I, I think is so incredibly overlooked because so much you hear about, you know, if if you've got a passion and you know you want to start a business around it, that you know, that's what you should go out, you know, and do. But just like you did the market research. And you sat out in the parking lot with your pen and your paper, and you counted those cars that were coming in. You know, people people don't don't do that. They don't do anything even remotely close to that. And I, I, that came to me because I recently went uh, I went through a program. It was pretty cool. It was a it was an angel investing program, and there was a founder aspect and then there was an investor aspect and then they merge us at the end of the program so that we as the investors can fund a couple of these startups and some of the companies came through that were applying for financing i mean you're looking at their businesses well they're not really businesses their ideas and i mean every single investor in the group is going what in the heck is this person thinking? And they've spent six months, a year, two years, $25,000, trying to put this idea together. And they don't take that step before they do that to reach out to somebody like yourself that can give them some blunt, straightforward, honest advice that says, look, good for you for wanting to do this, but why don't you consider this instead? Go do some homework on this. Go do some research on this and come back and let's have another conversation about something that might be a better fit. So I just say to you, I I applaud you for doing that because uh, that service is not something that a lot of people think to take advantage of. Well, it happened to me with their first business and my mentor. When um, I started listening to the vendor, I was changing the business model around a little bit in store. And my mentor happened to stop in one day and goes, what the heck are you doing? And I said, well, he told me if I did this and this and this, I'd get more customers. He goes, no, that's not going to happen. Point blank. Don't listen to him. Change it now. And I did. And I then I kept growing again. So sometimes you just have to listen to those people because they've been through it the hard way. And, uh, and then you learn from those. That's why I, when I, I launched an online group called Center for Women Business Owners, and the whole point was for women who were starting a business to learn from those who did it before. Mm-hmm. And I was looking for mentors and speakers who were point blank willing to say, this idea is not going to work. Or here's why. I've had several people come to me with some great online. Everyone wants an online app. Everyone wants an online program. And I go, well, there's a million companies out there that have way more money than you do. You're going to launch one day and they're going to steal your idea, grab the market share because they can promote it. You can't afford to. And now what are you going to do after you spent the 50 grand? Yeah. And getting back, Landon, getting back to what you said about, you know, they spend $100,000. I can't tell you how many times they come to me and say, what do I do now? The first question I ask is how much more money are you going to spend before you pull the plug? 
because you're either going to listen to me to try and create a niche now to sell what you've already spent the $50,000 on. And I don't know if that's going to work because we should have tried that before you spent the money. So at what point are you going to pull the plug? And they're yeah. shocked when I ask that question because they just think, you know, it's going to keep going, going to keep going, going to keep going. And it doesn't. Right. Well, you, you shared a statistic with us, which is 85% of small businesses typically fail before their fifth year in business. You clearly have beaten those odds, not once, not twice, but uh, several times. And I assume that you do some consulting work around uh, how to help people avoid that failure, hence, you know, your your book that you wrote. So, um Kind of as Austin alluded to earlier, maybe maybe now is a good time for you to talk to us about a couple of those threats that small businesses face in those first maybe one to five years, and you know maybe just highlight a couple that you you think are you know really important to share. Thank you, I'd love to. One of the biggest ones is most startups are one person, two people, maybe three people, or maybe they're contracting vendors or outside services that they need. Um, I, I just talked to one not too long ago. They're in business three years. And I said, oh, you're right at that point. I mean, you're either going to make it to five or you're not. And their challenge now is, should we bring on employees? And I said, well, have you thought about this, this, and this? And a big thing when bring, bringing on employees is non-disclosures. You have to protect your uh, property. You have to protect your assets in your business. Uh, in this particular business, they had a unique methodology on a service they were providing. I said, are you going to share that with your employee? And what happens if your employee, you know, inherits some money and now wants to launch a business against you and compete against you and steal your clients and, <clears throat> and steal your intellectual property? A lot of small business owners don't even think about that. They don't even know what an NDA is. And uh, I tell them when I had Actors Consulting Group, by the time we were at about 100 employees, three, three sets of employees left to launch consulting firms to compete against me. Now, the first thing I did was call my attorneys. Here's the NDA. What do we do? We can't prevent them from working. We can't prevent them from starting a business. But we can prevent them from taking any information from my firm which is what we did. We enforced it. So they had to start out the hard way, the way I did, knocking on doors. I had 150 names. It was me and a partner, and I sold one client at a time. I mean, we had $0 coming in before we did over $40 million in consulting revenues over the life of the company. And people say, well, how'd you get that big? Knocking on the door, one person at a time. And, you know, Landon, getting back to what you said, people don't want to make the sacrifice to make that work. They don't want to sit in the car and count the names. They don't, you know, they don't want to do the market research. They just think yeah. it's easy because there's, well, here's another statistics I didn't share with you. I just found it the other day. In the United States, in the year 2021, coaching small businesses is an $11.6 billion industry. So when I researched how many people were out like me who say the same thing, over 560,000 names came up. As you said, when you're in your investor group, how many people have actually done it? How many people have, you know, know that their methodology is not going to be one size fits all because every business is different. Otherwise, there wouldn't be the big five management consultants who are available for the Fortune 1000 because no two problems are the same. So employees are, are, are a big one. If they're going to add employees, they really have to protect themselves. And that's, that's key. That's almost like year two and three. Even friends of mine who wouldn't listen to me, you know, they, we, we try and keep our friendship and, and we have dinner and I'm like, have you thought of this? Have you thought of that? Have you thought of this? Oh no, she's my friend. She's my friend. She's my friend. Well, year four, she's no longer your friend. She wants a piece of the action. She wants to know why you're making more money than she is. You know, she feels that she deserves a part of your business because she was there day one, but she didn't put up any risk like you did. She didn't put up the mortgage on her house like I did three times. People just, their employees are going to want a piece of the pie. 
right away. So you have to protect yourself from that. Absolutely. Otherwise, you're going to end up in, in lawsuits all the time. Yeah. So that's a mm-hmm. huge, huge, huge step between year three and five. Yeah, no, no doubt it's it's important. And I, I can't let it pass by that you mentioned the sacrifice. So I have to have Landon move his big fat head so you can see what's right directly behind his head. <laughs> <laughs> sacrifice, sacrifice. Yeah. Absolutely. Patience, yeah. patience, patience. I don't know if that's one of your signs. You got to have patience and you have to sacrifice. You have to under, I, I've had people who came to me, they, they started a business and they said, I want to be paid the same amount of money I'm making now. I'm not going to make any sacrifices. And I said, well, then why should the investors giving you the money make the sacrifice and not you? Don't come to me for help because you want me to sacrifice my time while you're making more money than I am and you don't even have a business yet. Yeah. There's something wrong with this picture. That's to yeah. me, that's almost greed. That's not, that's not willing to see if you can grow something to help. You know, you should bring on employees. I mean, we had 150 consultants. We were supporting a lot of families throughout the country. I mean, every day that would go through my head. Oh my God, they need health care. They need this. They need disability if one of them gets sick. You know, they all have children. You know, I would see their their children's pictures at every holiday party where I'd invite the, you know, all the spouses in. So I'd go home and, and go, oh my God, you know, these people's lives are in my hands. So I can't screw up. No, you're, you're absolutely right. It's a big, it's a big risk that we're taking on as business owners. And, and you're right. I mean, we're responsible to them. We're, we're the ones who are making sure that they have a paycheck, that they have health care, that they have the ability to protect themselves if they get injured or really sick. Uh, we're there to help make sure that they can become financially independent when they want to cross that threshold. I mean, we take a lot on our shoulders as business owners. And it, you know, it, it's tough when you have an employee who feels entitled to the same level of income or whatever, because they haven't taken that risk. But the other thing that I want to kind of latch on to that, that you said there is that too many entrepreneurs nowadays jump right to raising money rather than bootstrapping their own business. And when you're raising money and using somebody else's money, I just, I have a hard time feeling that you're as committed as doing it with your own money or your family and friends money because you bootstrapped it. Absolutely. I had a young man from Germany call me. He found me on social media and and wanted advice because he read a quote that I said, I don't launch business unless I know I can reach seven figures in under 24 months. I do the research and the plan to see if that model will work. And he said, well, here's what I have. You know, I want to get to that level before, you know, 24 months. And he said, and I said, no, you misunderstood the quote. It doesn't mean every business I look at I can launch and reach that number in 24 months. And he said, what do you mean? I said, I turn those businesses away. So your business may not be conducive Mm -hmm. to that type of business model, business plan, or methodology. And he just looked at me and he said, well, my parents want me to get an MBA, but I'm thinking of going and getting a master's in entrepreneurship. And I said, I agree with your parents. And he says, you get, you sound like my mother. And I said, you know, we're, we're, thousands of miles apart, but I'm going to tell you the same thing. It's not a magic bullet. So you either have to make the sacrifice and give up this chance to go to college now and and try and get your business to work. You know, read my stuff and see if you can build a plan to get it to seven figures in under 24 months. See if you have the right people you're surrounding yourself with, which is another one of the avalanches. If you're not surrounding yourself with the right people, your business can also fail before year five. And I'm talking about getting the right lawyers, the right accountants. I I saw a a young woman come to me for help. She had the wrong bookkeeper. The bookkeeper didn't record her liabilities correctly. She thought she had more cash than what she did. When she saw it, she was so broke, she had no, no choice but to bankrupt the company. It was too late. All because she didn't know how to read her own balance sheet and profit and loss statement. 
Hey there, Tycoons. Austin Peterson here, host of Tycoons of Small Biz and co-founder of Backbone Planning Partners. If you're listening to the program and you're wondering how you could also be a guest on our program, please reach out to us at backboneplanning.com. We'd love to have a conversation with you to see if it's mutually a good fit to have you on the program. And also, if you're thinking about your business and what we do at Backbone Planning Partners and helping our business owners to plan for their biggest asset, that being their business, and want to understand what it's worth and how that's beneficial to you in your financial planning journey, please also reach out to us at backboneplanning.com and we'd be happy to provide a no obligation, informal valuation of your business. We look forward to hearing from you and thanks for listening to the show today. You got to have the right people around you, that's for sure. And, you know, it's funny that you talk about, you know, getting a, a business to seven figures in less than 24 months, which, you know, that's great. One, it's not easy to do. Yeah. Uh, two, I mean, well, really not even two, but in addition to that, only 10% of companies in our country, North America, so United States and Canada, only 10% of them ever reach seven figures. And ever. it's worth. And it's worse for women business owners. Only, only in women business owners, only 3% make seven figures. Yeah. When I found that out, I was like, are you kidding me? I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. yeah and it yeah. hasn't changed. These numbers haven't changed in years. You got to do the work. You got to do the work. It's the only way it's going to happen. And you have to be able to say, it's not going to work at some point. And don't waste your time. I had a, uh, a woman in one of my workshops years ago, and one of the other people in that workshop actually made it to Shark Tank, not because of me. They, they did listen to me, though, thank God. And um, she was putting together her business plan, and I saved her for last on day two to go over everyone's plan. And she looked at me, and she goes, I know now this is not going to work. And I said, thank you. You saved me the heartache from trying to tell you. It's not going to work. I had to leave them so that they themselves could see it's not going to work. And she said, this would make a much better charity. I said, absolutely. You were, you were coming up with a business idea for the wrong reasons. She wanted to launch a business to help people get jobs. But what she wanted to sell, nobody wanted to buy. But she thought they would buy it just because the fact that she was helping people get jobs. I said, not everyone has the same passions when it comes to charity work. And if you're making a profit on it, they're going to, they're not going to buy from you anyway. So, so Darlene, you made a comment that I want to just touch on for a second. Um, you are, you are preaching to the choir when you say that you have to go out and you, you got to build the right bench of advisors, right? Uh, legal tax, financial planning, um, you know, growth consultants, what have you. But I would say the biggest challenge that business owners face in that regard is that they don't know who the right people are. So talk to us about, about that. Like, how, how do you know who the right advisor is when you're going out and looking to engage one? Here's, here's what I found in the past five, 10 years now. It's a little bit easier today than it was when I started because there weren't many advisors who wanted to focus on small business owners because the money just wasn't there for them. So when, what I see small business owners doing, like in the case of this young woman who had a filed bankruptcy, she was using a friend because it was a cheaper way to go than looking for a professional CPA, tax accountant, and bookkeeping services. And I try and tell people, you know, look outside your network of friends. And today, there's a lot of professionals like yourself who are willing to take on small business owners and helping them. Today, you have a model that is affordable for you, for you to make money and for them to save money and yet get the top talent that they need only because technology is available today. And so I, I tell people, when, when you're looking for the attorneys, look for an attorney who's actually helped small business owners in similar situations to you. And early on, when I sold that business, I had a friend of a friend who was the attorney. I never got a dime out of that sale. The lawyer screwed up. It was, it was awful. It was eight years in court. 
I grew this business. I worked so hard. And the lawyer made one mistake. It was a mistake. He wasn't qualified really to even handle that sale. So from then on, I tell people when you're interviewing lawyers, and there's a lot of great ones out there, financial advisors like yourself, a lot of great ones out there, you ask them, who do I sue if you screw up on me? You want to make sure that they they come back and give you the confidence. You have to give these people the confidence that you know how to do this and that you're going to help them and that you're trained to help them. They have to see the same passion and, and the same effort and the same experience that I'm trying to offer these people. You, you really have to prove to them that you are the experts. And I tell people to go and look for people like that now. Just don't pick a name out of your local directory or local association or group of friends or you know somebody that's in one of your maybe business classes. And I also tell people, if you're gonna own your own business, I was fortunate when I bought that retail business, I had a CPA who said, I'm going to show you how to do double entry accounting by hand. I had these big green sheets of paper. We were in my kitchen and he showed me how to do each entry by hand, how to balance everything at the end of every month, how to create an income statement and how to create a balance sheet. I had no clue what these things were, but he taught me. From that, when I went into my MBA class, you know, fast forward 20 years later, I'm sitting there looking at the numbers the professor puts up on a case study, and I could, I could pick the errors right away because I knew how to do it by hand. I wasn't using QuickBooks. I wasn't using all these Excel. I wasn't using all these you know, tools that we have today. So I tell people, go out and learn how to do this so that at least you have the basic information when you're interviewing people and getting the right help. Does that make sense to you guys? I don't know what you come across when when you're trying to help other small business owners. Yeah, so I I would say, uh, and maybe I'm exaggerating this number a little bit, but I would say 20 or 25% of the time that Austin and I spend serving our business owner clients is collaborating with, interviewing, and helping select our business owner clients advisory groups because they they're too busy. Yeah. They're too busy to go out and interview three or four different CPAs, you know, before they hire them. And so Austin and I spend a tremendous amount of time ensuring that our business owner clients have the right people in the right seats, right? traveling in the same direction in sync with one another. And um, that was not necessarily by design. He just, after years and years working with business owners, that was just something that just continued to come up and come up and come up like, hey, do you really think your existing CPA is still the right fit for you? Because it sure doesn't seem like they are. Why don't we why don't we interview a couple other ones to see if there may be something out there that's a little bit uh, better for you. And uh, I think that's been a pretty valuable service because uh, they don't have the time to do that and they're hiring us and we we make the time to do that for them so that we can help to just ensure that they've got a high quality person focusing on whatever it is that that person focuses on. And they also fall into a trap, business owners fall into a trap of thinking that they have the best talent already and they're, they're never going to find anyone to replace them. And I always say, there, there's someone better than me out there. I mean, there's someone better than you guys. There, there's, there's always, you know, people available to help. You just have to find them. But a business owner falls in the trap thinking, well, I'm never going to find anybody else. And so they, they continue, you know, if you keep doing the same thing over and over, at the same time, you're going to get the same results. And if they're not getting the results that they need from their professional advisors, I think that's admirable what you guys are doing. I mean, helping them put teams of people together, because I'm sure you know who you meet a lot of these credible people that, you know, they can help them and they don't have the time to look for it for themselves, like you said. Yeah, I, I would even add to that that beyond the time to do it themselves, they're not always sure what questions they need to be yeah. asking, right? To be able to decide if they have the expertise that is needed in their particular area. 
And yeah. because we interact with a lot of business owners and a lot of these, you know, accountants, attorneys, whatever, we understand what it is that that our business owner client needs. And, and sometimes it is a pretty difficult conversation to say, hey, you know, I, I think we really should be looking at somebody else in this position. And, and here's why. And explain to them and show them, you know, it, I'm sure they're trying hard, but you've outgrown what their expertise is. And it's time to, to level up, so to speak. And, and I do want to be clear. I don't think there is a better financial advisory team. <laughs> All right. Present company excluded. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. As long as we're clear on that. Yeah. No, your heart, your heart's in the right place. You know, that you have you have to have a heart in the right place to try and and help people. It 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 was so I was so excited when I, I saw this this guy on Shark Tank. I'm like, oh my God, I helped him get there. You know, you just you just really I just really want to see people succeed. There's plenty of money available, as you guys know. Yeah. It's just, you know, tapping in the right market, tapping the right niche, finding the right ideal customer, being able to describe that person, you know, where are they at? Where are they going? Like I sat in the car and watched these people either take a cab, drive up, someone drop them off to get on the train or they parked. How many of them were there every day? What time did they go through there? So I, and then I revised the store hours based on that. So I was there more the hours that the people were there. So, you know, you just have to do that. So you need to add a little sign behind your head there, Landon, you know, patience. You need patience. Too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, persistence. You need another I, I had I had to I had to double take because we literally just hung these up about three hours ago. <laughs> I wasn't sure if it was there. Am I, I'm the first one to see. Okay. <laughs> you are. <laughs> yeah, and, and actually, uh, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll walk over and grab it, uh, Darlene. We, we had a guest on the show. Uh, was it? Last week, Austin, Dave? Uh, Dave was two weeks ago, I think. Two weeks ago. So, we, yeah, we had a guest on the show a couple weeks ago. And uh, he um, shared with us that the Chinese bamboo plant is watered daily for five years before it actually sprouts and pokes out of the soil. And then... It can grow up to 30 inches an hour or I mean, just something just incredible. And I thought that was one of the coolest things I've ever heard in my life. So on the opposite wall over here <laughs> is a uh, this large picture of this little uh, Chinese bamboo plant poking through the, the soil. Poking through the soil. Yeah, so, uh, that's a great that's a great analogy. That's a great analogy. And it's so yeah. true. Because the same thing in small business, you know, you, you struggle, you struggle, you struggle, and then all of a sudden you reach the tipping point, you know, and boom, it explodes. Yep. Yep. You know? So in our, in our 10 or so minutes we have left, I, uh, I want to talk to you about the seven minutes to business success series. But just before we do that, I think I've heard you say once or twice, you've alluded to a business plan, the concept of a business plan. I think that that is just so imperative, not just to a startup, right? To to any business, three years, five years, 10 years, 20 years in, doesn't matter, to have a business plan, right, for what they are trying to accomplish and how they are going to do that, right? So I don't know, you you probably have a lot more experience <laughs> in uh in helping people manufacture business plans and hold them accountable to them. So just talk to us about the importance of, of having a business plan. Well, I, I'm writing an article and I'll give you a little hint. I'm also a private pilot. And in the article, it starts out by saying, you know, I'm talking to the tower. I'm ready to take off. And the tower is asking me, you know, what's your route of flight? And I'm the small business owner. And I say back to the tower, I don't know. I'll let you know when I get there. So, so many business owners are taking off in business. And they have no idea where they're going. They have no idea how they're going to land. They have no idea how they're going to get there. And over the years, I did, you know, the massive thousand page business plan, which I thought was after a while ludicrous. You know, it was just pointless. The small business owner, especially if you're bootstrapping, if you're not going after venture capital money, your business plan can be on a single sheet of paper. It can, it can be on a napkin. 
but it has to have the components of where are you now? Where do you want to go? And what are the steps you need to take to get there? And in some cases, it can be five steps. In some cases, it can be 100 steps, depending upon where you are in your business. But so many business owners I talk to, and I have one that I've been coaching for 25 years. He is an entertainment business, which in itself fails like 90% year one. He not only made it to 25 years, the 26th year, the pandemic hit. And we revamped what he was selling quickly. And he did it online through Zoom. He was doing Zoom uh, plays that he sold across the country. And everyone thought that was so creative. And all his competitors were falling by the wayside. But he's a creative guy. So he's not going to write anything down in a plan. And I keep asking him, where do you want to go? Now he wants to franchise to other cities. So we just had a meeting last night. He's franchising to other cities. And I said, look, I'll send you the workbook. And you just jot in there all of your ideas. And, you know, I'll help you put that plan together. I'll mold it. But you need all of these components. Otherwise, you're not going to know. You're not going to know not only where you're going. You're not going to know as you go along this little roadmap. You're not going to know what to do if you reach one of these challenges, one of these 12 avalanches. You're just, it's just going to fall apart. At least have a plan. Have a goal. If you're at, if you're at you know, $500,000, maybe your goal is to do $600,000 in sales next year. And then I work it backwards. Okay, 100,000, how many clients is that going to take? Where are these clients? How much is each client going to have to spend? Just do basic math. And then once we figure out where these clients are, what is it going to take for you to connect with them to make sure that they buy from you versus someone else? It can be as simple as that. And have it written down and be able to measure it along the way. That's it. That's all you really need. And that's all I do. My business plan today is on a single sheet of paper. I just type it up. You know, and then every month I just check, did I make it? No, okay, then I have to adjust here. Yeah. I'm a huge proponent of the one-page business plan. And the other thing that I think is the most important part of what you said is that there have to be action steps. It's not just this is this is where we want to go. This is how we're going to get there and break it up in chunks, right? If we're growing our revenue by this much, okay, that's how much per quarter. That's how much per month, you know, and, and every business is a little different. Sometimes you should be looking at a quarter. Sometimes you should be looking at a day, right? But you've got to break it up into those chunks so that everybody can work towards the same goal. And that business plan needs to be communicated to your key employees so that they know where you're going and how you're going to get there. And also the people you surrounded yourself with, like your financial advisors, your accountants, your attorneys, they should know where you're going so that they're readily available to help you also along the way. It's not just employees. It's everybody that supports your business yeah. should, be, should be aware that you confide in, that you should be aware. Uh, uh, they should be aware of where it is that you really want to go. Otherwise, they can't help you because I'm sure you help your clients. You know, if you knew what their plan was and you come across an opportunity, you're going to be the first one to call and tell them because their growth helps your growth. And I would even say, ask for feedback from them on the plan, the action steps. They may have a different idea of how to get there that can be helpful to the business. And and you got to, again, go back to your theme earlier and listen to what they're telling you. They may have a better plan for how to get there than you do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and I don't do more than a one-year plan. Uh, I won't do that for anybody. You know, five-year plans are for the Fortune 1000 only because they can't turn the Titanic around. You know, last minute, massive. But small business owners, even under $100 million, could quickly turn on a dime. A one-year plan is is really all they need and then tweak it, you know, the next year and tweak it the next year and tweak it the next year so that they can handle things like the pandemic did, came across and, you know, other challenges if one of them gets sick, if something happens, the market changes, you know, there's, there's all kinds of things that can happen. And I've, I've been through so many of them, you know, the tech stock tank, you know, the mortgage industry falling, the pandemic and on and on and on and on. And you just have to be able to regroup 
and keep going and keep going. And what do you, how are you going to sidestep some of these? Yeah. All that. Yeah. You know, what's, what's the alternate route if there's a detour, you know, it's, it's just like a roadmap. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I'm going to have to start using that uh, pilot. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. I I ask these people, I go, do you go to the airport and buy a ticket and not know where that plane is going? That's how you're running your business. I've used that analogy in other ways before, but I I need to use it with what we do. And on top of that, like I'm a student pilot. My goal is to finish my pilot's license by the end of the year so. It just makes a lot of sense to me regardless. Yeah, so you understand what I'm saying. You'd never you'd never get in a plane and not know where you're going. <laughs> ever. <Right>. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise you, you won't get that license if, if you ever do that. So they won't give yeah. it to you. Yeah, you don't you don't want to be calling the tower and say, oops, I accidentally entered the pattern. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not supposed to be here. <laughs> <laughs> not yeah. good. Not good. Yeah, not good. Well, Darlene, we're, we're, we're bumping up against time here, but uh, I, this is one of the first times that I have ever actually taken some notes from what Thank our you. guest has, has shared with us, you know, live. So uh, this has been a phenomenal conversation. Uh, we just got about two or three minutes left, so we want to make sure we leave you with at least 30 seconds or a minute to uh, tell our, our listeners where they can track you down. But uh, before we do that, for a minute or two, talk to us about um, the seven minutes to business success. I think it's a series of short videos that you have, you know, recorded and offer that. Uh, I don't know if it's complimentary or as part of a paid package, or maybe just talk to us about that for a minute or two, would you? Sure. Um, how that happened is um, people were calling me and they wanted quick answers, as we alluded to earlier. You know, people want it now, people want it fast, people don't want to research and do the patience. Uh, of waiting. So I, I just started a, a YouTube channel and it's my name, Darlene Zebel. Every day or every couple of days, I record a seven minute video on one business subject. And it could be a challenge. It could be a, a question. People email me questions. Hey, how do I do this? And I'll say, well, look for it. I'll put it in my seven minute to business success series. And there's probably about 30 little short vignettes out there. Each one has like a one PowerPoint slide mm-hmm. so they can take some notes. And uh, and then it tells them just how to get to my website, you know, darlenezebell.com for other information. But hopefully each one of these little vignettes um, helps answer a question like, do they struggle with social media? What should they do? You know, what kind of business plan should they start? If they're starting a nonprofit, what do they need to look for? Um, I have all kinds of subjects out there. So hopefully there'll be some information. And I think people have about seven minutes that they can afford, you know, and maybe get some advice to help them so that they don't make too many drastic mistakes on that way to year five. And that, that was the whole point of the series to try and catch them when they're, they're bringing in employees, you know, what do I do? Uh, One woman I was talking to not too long ago, she said, I started the business. I don't even know how to file taxes. Nobody tells you how to do that. I mean, it's, there's just a whole series of things that you, you laugh, but it's true. I mean, just a whole series of things that people need to know um, if they, if they start a business or if they're stuck somewhere in a business, how do, how do they do market research? You know, all this information is free. You can go to uscensus.gov. They have information on everything. That's one of my favorite tools. My second favorite tool is the library, the reference department at the library. Every reference librarian along the way, every business I've owned has helped me every time. I, the first you know, IT business, I need 150 CIO names and addresses. She found a book. You know, I, I, you know, I'm launching uh, Actoris Consulting Group. You know, what, what's the big five selling? You know, she brings a book. So there's so much information out there. And I go, I go to, to uh, something called Statistical Abstracts of the United States. And I buy used copies of that book because they're so expensive. As the libraries get rid of them, I buy up a used copy from the prior year. And then I have all the data. It's got even what dress size women wear in this country if you're launching a garment business. Mm-hmm. So there's so much information that's uh, available. So I, I try and use these kind of tips in the seven minutes. And 
as people send me questions and I create another video. So hopefully it helps. It's free. You can just go out there and watch them. Very cool. I love it. So best place for people to track you down is at darlenezebel.com. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Z-I-E-B-E-L-L. Correct. Okay. Fantastic. Well, Darlene, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, guys. I'm so happy to, to be here and... Hopefully we'll be in our same network all the time because I'm sure there's a lot of information that you have that can help my clients too. So thank you. You're very welcome. We, we appreciate it. And we look forward to uh, following you and your continued success. Likewise. Thank you. Thank you, darling. You've been listening to Tycoons of Small Biz, proudly hosted by Austin Peterson and Landon Mance. Austin and Landon are comprehensive financial planning professionals specializing in financial, estate, and succession planning for small business owners. Austin and Landon have offices in Scottsdale, Arizona, and Las Vegas, Nevada, and represent clients in 14 states throughout the country. Join Austin, Landon, and the Featured Tycoons live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. right here on Business Radio X and your favorite podcast platform.